And we're off in defense of the Big 12 is live on Twitch. Tyler McComas and Norman, Brad Kellner in Austin, Texas. And the hat is back, baby. <laughs> we must be getting ready for some football this weekend. The hat is back. Dude, it's, I love it. Yeah, I I'm appreciate it. Hey, it's part of me now. And it's conference opening weekend in the Big 12. So we got to bring it in the right way. The hat is back, baby. And I can't wait for Saturday. And uh, by all accounts, we're going to have a full slate of Big 12 football two days from now. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, before we get into the games, which fan base is most likely to be wearing that type of hat at home games? Is it Tech? Is it Texas? I mean, TCU is in Cowtown. Maybe Baylor wants to be a bunch of fake Cowboys, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. I mean, really, you could pick anybody in the Big 12 for the hat, but who do you think wears one like that the most? Yeah, no doubt. You've got a lot of candidates there. I feel like it's between Texas Tech and TCU. I'm yeah. going with one of those two programs as the uh, as the school's most likely to rock a hat like this. But you're right. I mean, you could run down the entire list, maybe excluding Kansas and K-State. Right, Anybody else in this league – could probably rock this and probably would rock this except for those two. But uh I'll you're right about Kansas. Not a whole lot of uh not a whole lot of cowboy looks up there in Lawrence. No. You know. no. It's it's probably the most, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm just pointing this out. It's gotta be the most liberal uh university in the Big Twelve. You think that's uh, fair to say? Well, other than Texas, I guess. I, would, I was about to say, I, I would probably go with the University of Texas, man. I've lived yeah. in Austin for eight years, and I went to the University of Texas. So, uh, Texas, uh, Austin is definitely a blue dot in a red state. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, there's plenty of that going on down here for sure. All right. So, uh, let's start off with some of these games this weekend, and one that is still kind of in question right now. Uh, both of us know John Kurtz up there at the game in Manhattan, Kansas. I had him on my radio show, uh, show earlier this week and Kansas State's like right at the threshold man they are in the position that's in doubt is defensive back and it sounds like they are one DB away from not being able to play on Saturday so they did their second round of testing yesterday we didn't hear anything from that so I'll take that as a good sign so we just got to get through Friday's testing to make sure that we're going to be able to play but Kansas State was down 33 players, according to a report, against Arkansas State. They got 12 back, but they lost 10 more. Excuse me, they were missing 35 against Arkansas State. So they're down around 33 players right now heading into the Oklahoma game, which bears the question, BK. Um, should Kansas State even want to play this game? They're already a 27.5, 28-point underdog as it is. And if they're trotting out a defense – that is extremely low on numbers, this could be a bloodbath this weekend. Yeah, right. You don't want to play anybody in this league, but especially Oklahoma with a shorthanded secondary, and that's the situation that sounds like 4K State right now. I mean, yeah, they were really banged up for the Arkansas State game. They were playing a third-string safety in that one. They got some guys back, but uh, we heard it from Chris Kleiman all week long that they are still dealing with COVID, and I think Chris Kleiman used the quote, it gives us anxiety every day when talking about COVID-19. I think it kind of gives the entire country anxiety every day, but K-State seemingly has uh, had to battle this more than just about any team in this conference, especially since uh, the season began. So hopefully this game is able to happen, but you're dead on. I mean, Oklahoma's a four-touchdown favorite as is, and if Kansas State is, uh, is shorthanded on the back end on defense, this thing could get ugly relatively quickly. Now, look, we've got the 53-man rule in the Big 12 it's not as cut and dry as that, right? It's not just, oh, as long as you have 53 players healthy and eligible and ready to go, then you have to play 
Now, there are some position group numbers in there as well, right? You have to have, I think it's seven offensive linemen who are good to go. You got to have four interior defensive linemen who are good to go. Like each position group has a minimum number uh, of healthy guys that they have to have for a game to be played. So that's what's in question here for Kansas State. And I do know the two teams, K-State and OU, have a mutual buy on October 17th. So you could postpone this game without having to completely shift up the schedules for both of these teams. But uh, we'll see if it gets there, man. I mean, I, I assume the Big 12 is going to do a good job or try to do a good job of preventing teams from copping out, right? Like if there is a way to play, look, I know it sucks, but you've got to play. So uh, I would guess this game is going to happen on Saturday. But if it doesn't, there is a way once again, to uh, to play this game down the road without having to move too many things around. I mean, Kansas State would come into this game, I think, with low on numbers. Like, they, they may have to play a former walk-on quarterback in the secondary, all right? And we're talking about an OU offense. It looks like it's pretty good again. Like, yeah. it would be it'd be a bloodbath. Like, Kansas State's game plan going in would just be like, okay, like, let's just, let, let's just get out of here without in, without having any more damage inflicted on us, you know? Like... I don't think that Kansas State, with the low numbers that they have, like they'd want to win the game for sure. But you know what I mean by I don't think that they would call a game to try to actually win this thing. They would just try to get it over as quick as possible and just try to get through this game without any more injuries or anything like that. I I think that they would like wave the white flag before the game even started. And that sucks so bad, right? I mean, you know, K-State's expectations going into this year, I think they were decently high. Now, they were picked to finish seventh in this conference by uh, the Big 12 media. But after what they did in eight and four regular season in year one under Chris Kleiman, they had their quarterback coming back. Some people thought K-State was kind of a, a dark horse to maybe get to Arlington at the end of the year. Uh, expectations might have changed a little bit after what happened to Arkansas State in week one, but I still think K-State felt like they could be a competitive team in this conference this year and maybe not beat Oklahoma for the second straight season. But once again, they pulled it off last year and uh, they've given OU some fits over the years. So maybe at least keep this game competitive. But yeah, you're probably right, man. I mean, it just sucks. That's where we're at with college football in 2020. And that's where we're at with K-State right now that, you know, if this game if this game does get played on Saturday, you'd love to keep it close. You'd love to find a way to pull off the upset in Norman, but it's really like, okay, can we just keep our guys healthy enough to where we can play our final eight games of this conference slate? And I don't think it's going to matter, but OU's in an interesting spot in this game to where Kansas State already lost to Arkansas State, and we already know that they're down like 30-plus players, and they're not in good shape. So if OU doesn't win this game going away, they're probably going to catch a lot of heat for it. You know, mm-hmm. like They're in the spot like, if you blow them out by 31, well, yeah, you should blow them out by 31. Kansas State's not any good, and they didn't have any other good players available. But if you beat them by 14 or 17, it's like, oh, my God, is Oklahoma the latest to be the disappointment in the Big 12? So, like, that, pressure this weekend. Is that that bad? Like, this line seems awfully high to me. Now, there are a lot of factors that go into this thing, right? I mean, the way the two teams looked in week one and obviously the COVID stuff that K-State is dealing with, they're very shorthanded, but – Man, I mean, is that the situation? Is that the talk up in Norman right now? Like, if we don't take care of this team by four touchdowns, then we've got some problems. We've got yeah. some issues. Like, uh, yeah. that seems odd to me, considering, I mean, again, maybe what happened not, last year. Maybe not like this team has issues that we didn't think that they had before, but it's going to be like, well, what's the deal? Like, why didn't we hmm. beat them by 28-31? Why didn't we cover the spread? You know, I mean, there, yeah, there'll be people saying that for sure. There'll be people saying that they played poorly if they don't do that. That's crazy to me. I mean, once again, just considering that K-State won eight games last year and they beat Oklahoma last year, 
the fact that the expectations are that high. I mean, it is OU football and it is the Big 12 and OU has dominated this conference and they expect to dominate this conference, not only year in and year out, but week in and week out. But uh, God, that feels that feels high to me. Now, could I see it happen? Absolutely. I mean, with Oklahoma's offense, uh, they're really, really good. And if K-State is going to be as shorthanded in the back end on defense as uh, they might be, then, okay, this could get ugly and Oklahoma could put up 50 or 60 points. Uh, but man, it's like that, that feels pretty high to me, that 28 point line. I'm generally a guy, despite me being a Texas grad, despite me being a lifetime Longhorn fan, I generally will side with Oklahoma and I think they're going to run over just about every team in this league. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I think this game, I'm not going to say it's going to be tough and tight down the stretch, but I think K-State will be able to keep it within four touchdowns uh, if this game does happen on Saturday. Yeah, you're not asking a whole lot right there. Just keeping it yeah. – keep I, I feel like though. that's not that hot of a take, right? But <laughs> uh, apparently that, that could cause some problems if Oklahoma doesn't win by at least 24 to 28 this Saturday. How about this? Um, I, I know that Kansas State football used to be really bad, one of the worst programs in all of Division One football. This is from the Twitter account Blink and Riley from 1938 to 1992. OU beat Kansas State 53 out of its 55 games played. Yo. OU outscored them 2,130 to 457. So, wow. 2,130 to 457? Yes, out of the 55 games played. OU won 53 wow. of those. Uh, I hope somebody else does the math on that. I would love to do the math just to find the average margin of victory in those games for OU over K-State. That is incredible. I mean, I know Oklahoma obviously has a ton of history and K-State before Bill Snyder had next to nothing, but uh, that is that is still pretty absurd. That is domination at its finest. 2,130 divided by 55 is 38.7. Okay. So they were beating them, yeah, pretty soundly. 457 divided by 55 is eight. Oh, eight. So an average of eight. 30 points per game. 30 oh, points per game right God, there. That is, uh, that is pretty remarkable right there. God, K-State came a long way in the Bill Snyder era. That's just another testament to how good of a job that dude did up in the Little Apple. Oh, my gosh. And I like Chris Kleiman. I think Chris Kleiman is yeah. going to do a good job, by the way. I don't yeah. know what, what you think, but I think he's going to do really no, good. I did too. I mean, I think that was a great hire. Like, I was I was almost surprised that K-State was able to get that guy. Right? Not to take any unnecessary or unfair shots at Kansas State, but, you know, I figured just all that Chris Kleiman was able to do, yes, at an FCS program, but, I mean, if you're winning national championships in college football anywhere, then uh, I feel like you're a damn good coach. And Chris Kleiman, seemingly year in and year out, was able to get the job done up in Fargo. So, I figured I'm not going to say like an Alabama or a Clemson or an OU or a Texas or a blue blood like that would offer, but I just figured maybe eventually some bigger offers than K-State would come Chris Kleiman's way. But yeah, I mean, he did great in year one. Uh, I think he, you know, it might take him some time to really get that program, get the guys he wants in that program and really turn things over from uh, the end of the Bill Snyder era, which wasn't great up in Manhattan, the end of it, of course, not the entirety of the era. But, uh, yeah, I think he was a great hire, did great things in year one, surprised a lot of people, and I think he's going to have K-State competitive for uh, for a long, long time. Uh, looks like we might get some alternate uniform action for the Sooners this weekend. I sent you a uh, DM. See that DM? Like, OU's traditional. I almost said traditional OU fans be kicking my ass for that one. <laughs> but they're bring the wood uniforms that everybody around here hates. They're going to have like a black stripe down the middle right here. So fascinating. And this was from the 
I guess Mikey Henderson, one of the players, posted it, whatever. So interesting. What what do you think about these? You can't see all of the helmet, but you can see the black stripe on it. What do you what do you think about these OU alternates? Well, you're up in Norman. What's the OU fan base like when it comes to alternate uniforms? Oh because- God. It's the most hot button topic around yep. here. Our traditional uniforms are so great. We should never mess with them ever. Um, our listeners at the radio station call them the costumes. Oh, God, are we wearing the costumes this weekend? Which ones? The Roughnecks? The Rough Rider, whatever they are. Rough Rider. Wood, rough rider yeah. yeah. Oh, God, we're wearing the costumes. Like, OU wore them in the Big 12 championship against Texas a couple of years ago. And that was a player's decision. Mm-hmm. And in my understanding, like the OU administration, like Joe Castiglione, the AD, was like, are you guys sure that you want to do this? Like, are you really, really don't necessarily think that this is a good idea? Are you really want to do this? And everybody was pissed that they wore the alternates against Texas of all teams in a Big 12 championship. So they hate him here, man. They hate well, him. Isn't Oklahoma like undefeated wearing those uniforms? No, no. Actually, the, the common thought is every time we – Every time we wear them, we get beat, which isn't necessarily true, but they have lost a couple times in a Man, play. I feel like at least going into that game against Texas, OU was unbeaten wearing those uniforms. And when I saw that, I was kind of freaked out. Like, uh-oh, like that's uh, that's not a good sign. I put way too much stock into random trends like that, especially <laughs> with stuff that probably doesn't matter with the uniforms. But, yeah, that's how it is down here in Austin, man. I mean, alternate uniforms, hot-button topic is an understatement, man. I mean, people will go to war over changing the classic traditional Texas uniforms. Look, it's all about the players to me. I mean, it's all about recruiting. This whole sport is all about recruiting, right? You can't win without recruiting at the highest level. So you do whatever you can to impress the 16, we'll go 16 to 22-year-old kids, right? The juniors in high school up to the uh, seniors in college. That's what this thing is all about. It's not about impressing the old heads, the 50, 60, and 70-year-old fans, of the program. So yeah, I mean, it's a huge thing for Texas. Uh, Oklahoma's changed up the uniforms more than Texas has. I mean, Notre Dame has done it recently over the years. Ohio state has done it over the years pretty recently as well. I know Clemson's got a purple uniform. LSU's got an alternate uniform as well. So some programs get away with it, but man, it's uh, it is a big issue down here. I'm curious to see what it looks like on Saturday. I mean, yeah. if you, you know, what if, if it's just the helmet, if it's a full uniform thing, uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, every alternate uniform is a good thing, right? It's got to look good if you're going to change it up. Don't uh, don't clown yourself. But uh, I, I'm not a huge opponent to the idea, the concept of mixing up the jerseys a little bit. Um, huh, I See, I'm a traditional uniform guy. I guess with my age, I'm supposed to be an alternate uniform guy. Um, I, I just would be fine if OU in Texas – wore their white uniforms every single week. Mm. And but when they play each other, they wear their burnt orange and crimson. Like U- UCLA and USC wear their home jerseys against one another. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty awesome if Texas and OU did that when they played each other. That would be pretty cool one year to do that. Now, those colors aren't too close together. They right? probably like, are, but uh, hey, uh, Sam Ellinger was going to throw picks in that game anyway, so, so what does it matter? You know? there's, no need, there's no need for that. Actually he, actually, he does not against OU, or at least that I can remember. Well, last year he couldn't move the ball at all against OU. So we'll we'll save the hate. We'll save the trash talk right. for the week of uh, October 10th. Man, we got a few weeks before uh, before we got to go back and forth on that one. I'm going to guess that Sam Ellinger doesn't throw too many interceptions this weekend in Lubbock. Which, by the way, Tech's uh, leading running back got arrested earlier this week. How about that? Sir Roderick Thompson. I mean, I don't know who gets arrested at like 1.30 on a 
Monday or Tuesday afternoon, whatever day it was, but there's a, another subtraction. Yeah, so it was that. an incident that took place a couple of months ago, uh, but Sir Roderick Thompson just got arrested for it on Monday of this week. And yeah, you know Texas is coming to town, right? You know it's a big game when you can have a player get arrested and still be available to play uh, this weekend. Oh, he's still playing? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if Love Texas it. Tech was playing KU – this Saturday, then yeah, Sir Roderick Thompson, look, we got to show that we're a program of, of character, right? We want to discipline our players. We won't stand for guys getting arrested uh, for off the field incidents. So you're going to have to sit this one out. But hey, Texas is coming to town. Oklahoma's coming to town. We need all hands on deck. And look, it, it's a misdemeanor. It's a speed racing charge, right? That's what he got in trouble for, for uh, for racing on the highways and byways of, uh, of Lubbock, Texas. And there was another player on the team, I think a depth wide receiver, who was with Sir Roderick Thompson at the time when this happened. He got arrested on the scene. Sir Roderick Thompson fled the scene, got away, and then finally got uh, booked on Monday of this week. Uh, to go to your original point, though, yeah, man. I mean, Sam Ellinger, God, if he throws one interception, let alone multiple picks against Texas Tech on Saturday, that would almost feel like a, a letdown. This Tech defense is so, 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 so terrible, man. I mean, they were bad last year, and they were horrible against Houston Baptist in week one, giving up 600 yards of total offense, giving up 572 yards to Bailey Zappi, the HBU quarterback, who's a good player. He's like he was a finalist for the Walter Payton Award, which is the Heisman Trophy of the FCS last year. So, you know, Bailey Zappi is no scrub, but he's no Sam Ellinger either. Uh, I mean, Tech's defense, like I went back and rewatched that game a couple of times. I watched it earlier this week. They're secondary. Like they were dropping eight on just about every play, Tyler. So you'd think if you've got eight guys back there, you'd be able to cover somebody. Uh, that was not the case for Texas Tech. And it looked like their corners were were just covering grass. Like they were covering a spot on the field instead of covering the HBU wide receivers. It's like nice. you're playing peewee sports and your coach tells you, hey, stand here. Whether it's football or basketball or soccer or baseball, your coach tells you to stand here. And if anything comes your way, you do something about it. But if it's outside your zone, you know, don't worry about it. Like that's what it looked like Texas Tech was being coached to do in that game against Houston Baptist. They looked lost in the secondary against HBU. So, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see anything I liked from the Tech defense in that game. I'll give them credit. They did do a good job of stopping the run. So uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll take <laughs> that back. Yeah. But HBU doesn't like to run the football uh, in the first place. Their offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley is his name, is a Cliff Kingsbury guy. He was a GA under Cliff at Texas Tech when Cliff was at Texas Tech. So he's a total air raid guy. And the air raid offense was uh, was magnificent against Texas Tech. Hell, Houston Baptist left some points on the board in that game. They should have put up way more than 33, and they probably should have won that game against Texas Tech. So unless the Red Raiders have made some tremendous strides over the last two weeks, then Sam Ellinger and company should not have too many issues moving the football and putting up points in Lubbock on Saturday. Yeah, I, I want to see Texas kind of dominate the line of scrimmage running the football in this game, right? Like the only – chance Tech has to win this game is that the final score is 51-48, 48-45, and Alan Bowman just goes off for like five or six touchdowns through the air. Like legitimately, yeah. like Tech is not going to slow down Texas. Texas Tech is just going to have to score every single time that they get possession of the football on Saturday. So to neutralize that possibility at, at all, even though I think it's very small, I, I've, been, I've been telling you all offseason, I want to see Texas line up and be able to run the football on people. 
And if they can't line up and run the football on Tech, I'm going to be a little bit worried. So let Tom Herman, which he likes to do, establish the running game early and let them control the pace and tempo of this football game. And if they do that, then Tech will be on its heels all night long and Texas will probably win this game by 17 to 21 points. Yeah, I'd like to see that, but I almost disagree with you in terms of the philosophy. Like I want Texas to pass to open up the run. Like, uh, I get what you're saying. I want Texas to be able to dominate, and that is Tom Herman's M.O., right? I mean, over his first three years at Texas, he is a power spread guy. He wants to run the ball down your throat, and I think Texas is undefeated in the Tom Herman era when his teams run the football 40 or more times in a game. So I think normally, first three years, Tom Herman at Texas, yeah, in a perfect world, he does exactly what you said, just establish the ground game, keep the Tech offense off the field, but Man, I mean, with Texas secondary as bad as it is and with Texas passing game, you know, I know they were playing UTEP two weeks ago, but I'm not so sure Texas Tech secondary is a whole hell of a lot better than UTEP's right now. Uh, I feel like the plan should be kind of to pass to set up the run. And Texas threw the ball 32 times in the first half against UTEP. They only ran it 14 times. If that happens again on Saturday, I wouldn't be too surprised unless Texas Tech secondary, once again, has taken some serious strides over the last two weeks. So I see what you're saying. I would love to see more from the uh, the Texas rushing attack. They didn't use it a whole lot against UTEP and Keontae Ingram and Roshan Johnson and Bijan Robinson. I mean, that's that's the best three headed monster of running backs in this conference without question. Uh, I would love to see those guys shine a little bit on Saturday and just get a taste of what they can bring to the table. But man, I, I almost think Texas should be passing to set up the run, just considering the team they're going up against. 52-17, that's the advantage Texas has over Texas Tech in the all-time series. So pretty lopsided there. Not too uh, not too much of a surprise. Um, Spartan Barton has left us a comment. Uh, if we want to go ahead and hit that one right there. Paying players for name, image, and likeness becomes law in Florida for the 2021 season. Has any team in the Big 12 made any progress on this issue? I can speak for the state of Oklahoma, and the answer to that um, – no, I, I haven't heard anything on that. They're even close to the state of Florida. And I haven't even heard anything on the state of Texas getting near that as well, unless you have. Yeah, in terms of the state of Texas, I don't think there's a whole lot of conversation being had there. I know the University of Texas, is uh, they created a new program called Leverage, uh, in which they're trying to equip their student-athletes with just all the tools and the platform they need to maximize their brand as student-athletes at the University of Texas. So, UT is trying to get out in front of that, and they're trying to do whatever they can to help their student-athletes promote their name, image, and likeness. Now, right now, it's for no money, right? It's just for branding purposes at this point. But uh, I know UT is on board for it. But in terms of the state of Texas, uh, yeah, we're not where Florida is. We're not where California is in terms of making a decision on that. But hopefully hopefully the decisions made in Florida and California can uh, can spark some more conversations in Big 12 states. Hi, I'm Sam Ellinger for Plucker's Wings. Can you see that happen in the future? Oh, dude, I mean, that guy could be a borderline millionaire here in Austin, Texas, with all the ad money he could bring in. Are you kidding me? That dude would absolutely crush it. And there was a study, and I only know this, of course, because Texas promoted it and pumped it out, but there was a study done by some third-party national company I was just trying to calculate the value of student athletes across the country. And they looked at everybody, right? They looked at Spencer Rattler. They looked at a guy like Trevor Lawrence. They looked at a guy like Justin Fields. But Sam Ellinger was far and away number one in terms of like the amount of money he could make on branding himself, whether it's through social media, 
whether it's through advertisements, I think it's the combination of, you know, the brand of UT and also the city of Austin just being a huge city away from the University of Texas. So, yeah, uh, Sam Ellinger would be uh, would be a pretty high, hot commodity in terms of advertising, and it sucks that uh, you know, he's going to go through his whole Texas career without making any money uh, on that subject. Pluckers, overrated, underrated, or just right? Oh, I love me some pluckers, man. I love me. I've never, I've never had it. Never had oh. it. I just see all you guys talking about it all the time. It's great. Yeah, it's uh, it's all over the state of Texas now. I'm not sure. God, I feel like there's some outside of Texas, but I could be making that up. But no, it's uh, it's great. I know the owners; they're good dudes. The wings are spectacular. Their appetizers, I think, is what sets them apart, right? I mean, they've got a full menu of stuff, not just wings. And the atmosphere, the beer, the TVs. So it's a great place to catch some football. There's no doubt about that. Was it like a knockoff of Buffalo Wild Wings or what? Uh, ooh, I mean, I don't know. I would say better food than Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> I guess concept-wise, right, with all the TVs, with all the screens everywhere, it's kind of Buffalo Wild Wings-esque. But uh, give me give me Plug Nation over B-dubs every day, man. But they don't have the ability to uh, to change the outcomes of games like Buffalo Wild Wings has, at least That's not true. to my knowledge. So That's you got to give B-dubs some love for that, no question. All right, hey, let's continue to fill up the comment section. We love answering all your questions. And in the uh, meantime, of course, go uh, check out LandryFootball.com. We're here every Monday and Thursday, 10 a.m. Central, 10 to 11 a.m. Central, right here on the Landry Football Podcast Network. So, hey, in the meantime, throughout the week, you love football. I'm going to guess because you're listening or watching this podcast, high school, college, NFL, free agency. God, if you need help with your fantasy football team, I'm sure LandryFootball.com has got some information. That can help you out there. You want to get to one more comment from Spartan Barton, and then uh, we'll move on to some games. In terms of conference significance, what is the best game to watch this week? Well, I don't know in terms of – I don't know. I I think that you could pick a lot of games. I wouldn't say OU Kansas State. I wouldn't say Texas and Texas Tech just because I think that's going to be a blowout too. But right now I think both you and I agree that OU and Texas are the one and two teams in the Big 12. So it has to be – either Oklahoma State, West Virginia, or Iowa State and TCU. Yeah, you know, I think in terms of conference significance, the two most important games are Oklahoma, K-State, and Texas, Texas Tech. Now, I see what you're saying. I totally agree with you. Those should be relatively comfortable wins for the two favorites there. But for the Big 12 trying to get a team into the college football playoff this year, I think that is very important to conference significance. Then you need Oklahoma and Texas uh, to take care of business this sure. week. So yeah. in terms of that, the national scale, I go with those two games, but that that's going to be the case all year long. But yeah, in terms of, okay, who's the third best team right now in this league? We talked about that a little bit on Monday. We're trying to figure out who the third best team in this conference is right now because it sort of feels like Oklahoma and Texas, you don't want to put too much stock into one game, especially for Texas, right? For Oklahoma, they were picked to win this league. They've won it five years in a row. I don't think anyone's going to have any qualms with picking the Sooners in that top tier for this conference. But you don't want to put too much stock into Texas after one week. Uh, man, I mean, compared to everybody else in this league, uh, it felt like those two teams were in a league of their own. But in terms of the battle for the third-best team, I'd probably go with Iowa State-TCU, that game uh, in Fort Worth this weekend. Uh, Iowa State needing a bounce back after what they did against Louisiana and their one non-conference game. You know, Matt Campbell is trying to do something he's never done. And he's done a lot of things that no Iowa State coach has ever done, right? He's been incredible since taking over in Ames five years ago. But Tyler, he's never beaten a Power 5 team in the month of September. Never. <laughs> at Iowa State. 
right? It's usually uh, Iowa, right? He's he keeps losing to Iowa every year for the Cyhawk, and then he usually loses the conference opener. It's usually only one conference game that you get in the month of September. That's going to be the case again this year. So yeah, Matt Campbell, once again, as good as he's been at Iowa State, has never beaten a Power Five team home or away in the month of September. So he's going to try to reverse that curse and meanwhile try to prevent Iowa State from falling to 0-2. And then TCU, a trendy pick before the year, right? Gary Patterson teams are really, really good coming off of disappointing seasons. Then they had the Max Duggan news. Felt like his career was done, but now Max Duggan might play. We haven't seen the Horn Frogs play just yet this year. So yeah, in terms of, all right, who's going to be that the top of that second tier of teams in this league. Uh, I think that game in Fort Worth 1230 on Saturday could go a long way into determining that. Yeah. The the game that I'm just really excited about, I'm really interested to watch is how does OSU bounce back after that near loss against Tulsa last week? Um, They're only a seven point favorite. We have no idea about the status of Spencer Sanders. We won't know about the status of Spencer Sanders until the Oklahoma state offense takes the field on Saturday it's not him, you would think it'd be Shane Illingworth. Just what's what's in hanging in the balance for this team? Like if they lose to West Virginia at home, a game that I thought before the year they were going to win pretty convincingly. Um, does this team does this team just start to to really grow apart? Because I already heard from Oklahoma State fans on Saturday saying they didn't think Chuba Hubbard played all that hard or looked like his give a damn was a little bit busted at times during that game. So yeah, like how, how just does Oklahoma State look similar to what they did last week, or was that just a fluky week one performance? Like, I'm really interested to see what you get out of the Cowboys this week. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought the line for this game would only be a touchdown, right? Like, Oklahoma State picked to finish second in this league going in. Like, West Virginia was picked ninth in this league going in, and no one really had expectations. Eighth, excuse me for the Mountaineers, eighth going into this season. Uh, but West Virginia looked pretty good, albeit against a really, really bad Eastern Kentucky FCS team. And yeah, Oklahoma State struggled against Tulsa. And that's the big question, right? We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. I saw earlier this week, West Virginia, their coaching staff was talking about preparing for all three, right? Preparing for Spencer Sanders, preparing for Shane Illingworth, and also preparing for Ethan Bullock, who I can't imagine he starts this weekend, but you he don't need to prepare for Ethan Bullock. Yeah, he's yeah, like he's very good. Just sit back and be like, "Yeah, we'll be all right if he plays." Yeah, I think you're you're probably right considering the way he looked against. Yeah, Tulsa. but West Virginia staff—they're saying they're watching high school tape on Shane Illingworth. Yeah, like, I mean, that, he's only got one college game, right? So that's uh, that's part of the scouting that you have to do. And hell, Illingworth only had what a quarter and a half of a college game, so you don't have a whole lot of tape and a whole lot of scouting done on him. So yeah, I mean that's what you have to do if you're West Virginia. I think Mike Gundy has handled this week very well. I'm not sure he's handled the, this offseason very well, but in terms of, hey, you don't want to give anything away, right? I mean, maybe Spencer Sanders, maybe there's no chance that he suits up for Oklahoma State on Saturday, but you want to at least make West Virginia have to prepare for him and leave that element of surprise that he might be able to go this weekend. Look, Oklahoma State's chances in the Big 12 are going to come down to Spencer Sanders, right? Uh, I mean, it's as simple as that. Now, they can lose this game against West Virginia, and still find a way to Arlington at the end of the year, right? I mean, if they are able to beat Texas and or Oklahoma, then they still have a shot uh, to get to Jury World when it's all said and done. But, man, this felt like one of the more winnable games that you have in this league. If you do slip up at home to West Virginia, then that's uh, that's not going to be great for Oklahoma State's chances. Oklahoma State 31, West Virginia 17, final score. That's the pick. 
That's the pick. I like that. What do you think? And they cover. Do you think Spencer Sanders plays this Saturday? And is your prediction impacted by whether or not? I I, I think Shane Ellingworth plays. Okay. I I don't think Spencer Sanders plays. Well, I mean, here's where I struggle. Like, it's supposedly a high ankle sprain, right? Well, uh, Christian McCaffrey has a high ankle sprain, and he's out a month for the Carolina Panthers. Now, maybe all high ankle sprains aren't uh, created equal right here. I just... I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing he's going to play, even though that he was walking around on the sideline and looked like he was trying to give it a go last Saturday. I I think that they rest him. I think he's back in a couple weeks. Shane Ellingworth has another nice performance. Chuba Hubbard rushes for over 100 yards and has a nice performance as well. But, hey, Oklahoma State, in their week off, better have figured out how to block things up a little bit better. Yeah. Because West Virginia, they got a couple defensive linemen. The Stills brothers front can play. And if they cause havoc on this OSU offense because OSU can't block them, then this could be a lot more interesting than I'm leading on. Yeah, and Vandarius Cowan, don't forget about him, uh, the transfer from Maryland. It was a pretty highly touted recruit. He's a good player that uh, West Virginia has up front. They've got a decent front seven in Morgantown. Also, Tony Fields, the grad transfer from Arizona, a part of that West Virginia defense. So I'll go I'll go 24-21 Oklahoma State in this one. I think it's going to be close. Uh, that's a Shane Illingworth pick, by the way. If Spencer Sanders is able to go and is close to 100%, I don't think there's any chance he is 100%. But if he's close, then I think Oklahoma State will cover and probably win by two or three touchdowns like you were saying. But I think this uh, could be tough and tight if he is unable to go. I think this could be one to watch. And we got a comment from Spartan Barton asking if there are any upset watches this week. I think that's your obvious one, right? Oh, yeah. oh, you can't yeah. call TCU over Iowa State an upset. That's a two-and-a-half-point no. line. That's a toss-up. That's a coin flip. I would say West Virginia going into Oklahoma State, going into Stillwater, and beating Oklahoma State is uh, is one to watch, especially if Spencer Sanders can't go for uh, for OSU. Yeah, it's not. I mean, God, it, <laughs> judging by the way that OSU blocked last week on their offensive line, hell, maybe this isn't that even that big of an upset. I mean, rankings-wise, <laughs> top 15 will go down to an unranked team it is. But, uh, yeah, West Virginia and Oklahoma State maybe a little bit closer than we thought before the season. Yeah. Another comment that we got here asking any predictions on Baylor's new head coach, how's he going to do? Um, I, I think that Dave Aranda is going to struggle early on more than likely. I mean, they just haven't got to play a football game yet. I definitely think that they're going to start off 1-0 with the win over Kansas, but I think Baylor will struggle early on, but by the end of the year, be a pretty solid little football team down there in Waco. Yeah, real quick nugget on Oklahoma State, just on the whole Spencer Sanders thing. I mean, you never want to have your starting quarterback go down, but if there is a time for him to go down, it's right now because OSU has West Virginia at home, then they've got Kansas next week, then a bye week. So if Sanders can't go for two games in league play – uh, those are two of the games that you would want not uh, want him not to be able to play. You know what I mean? Uh, back to Baylor. Good question. Yeah, I think they'll win no problem against Kansas on Saturday. I am curious to see what the Jayhawks do, right? Because they looked a lot better in the second half against Coastal Carolina. I mean, they got punched in the mouth in embarrassing fashion in the first half in that game last Saturday. It was 28-3 to at halftime, but KU started to figure some things out offensively. The defense settled in a little bit too. So, you know, which Kansas team are we going to get? Now, I think Baylor is a a step up in talent from Coastal Carolina. Even though Baylor lost a lot, even though they've got a first-year, first-time head coach, uh, there's still a significant step up in talent between them and Coastal Carolina. But, you know, if Kansas plays like they did in the second half against Coastal, can they make this game a little bit interesting? And because it's the first time we're seeing Baylor after this crazy offseason, you know, what happens if it takes them a little bit of time 
to get their ish together and uh, to look, you know, cool, calm, and comfortable in this game against Kansas. So maybe things can be close early on between these two teams at McLean Stadium on Saturday, but uh, I think Baylor will win this game relatively easily. And yeah, Baylor's another one of those wild card teams, right? 11 wins a year ago, made it to the conference championship game, made it to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, they're not going to be that team this year. Just lost too much personnel and coaching wise. But can they play spoiler? I don't think they're really a threat to get to Arlington this year. Although I would have said that last year, and they did find their way up there. But uh, can they be competitive and maybe pull off an upset against a Baylor, or excuse me, against an Oklahoma State, against a Texas, against an Oklahoma, and maybe play some sort of role in determining who gets to Arlington at the end of the year? I think that's sort of the best case scenario for Baylor, right? The ceiling for them this year is all right, maybe going seven and three or hell if they never play a non-conference game, six and three. Uh, but can they pull off an upset to maybe get to seven and two? I think that's the best case scenario for the Bears this year. Well, Baylor needs to start off two and oh. They need to beat Kansas. And I know that West Virginia, you know, they, they could win this weekend in Stillwater, but Baylor needs to go out to Morgantown and win. I know that's not an easy ask because after that, you got Oklahoma State, you got Texas. You got TCU, you got Iowa, at Iowa State. It's a pretty tough stretch. So if Baylor wants to get to that six and three, they better start off by starting off uh, two and zero in this. KU yeah. needs some Puka magic in this game. Waiting for that to show up. And my God, when's KU going to get good quarterback play again? I, I know to their standards, they had it last year, but man, you talk about a program that just had inconsistent play at that position. Hell, they played two guys in game one of the season. They got to get, they've got to get better quarterback play there and a guy that can make big plays, but without making the costly turnover, man. Yeah, no doubt about that. They played three guys in game one. Uh, it was really, really bad for Kansas. And Yeah, Carter Stanley, I mean, much maligned, much criticized. He was incredibly inconsistent over his run at KU. But, I mean, what he did last year was better quarterback play than what Kansas has had in a while. So, yeah, need the next Todd Reesing, man. Need a Lake Travis QB to be completely overlooked and somehow find their way up to Lawrence, Kansas. That might be what it takes for KU to get some solid quarterback play, but, man, that feels like a century ago to where Kansas has been really competitive and also had really, really consistent, good quarterback play. Uh, I don't think they have that on their roster this year. I think Brent Deerman's a hell of an offensive coordinator. I think he's got a bright future in this sport, and Kansas already paid him a little bit, right? They gave him a raise to keep him in Lawrence this offseason. I think he's a great offensive mind, but – Man, if you don't have a quarterback, I don't care how good of an offensive mind you are, uh, it's going to be tough for you to move the football and put up points, and that might be a problem that the Hawks are dealing with all year long. Todd Reesing went to Lake Travis? He did, yeah. He's an Austin what, guy. What, what's up with – because Lake Travis is a pretty – really good high school program in, in Austin. What's up with Lake Travis starting really short white guy quarterbacks? They've had uh, a couple there. A lot of white people in Lake Travis. <laughs> uh, I can answer that part of the equation right there. Uh, I'm not sure what I can do with the uh, the height issue that Lake Travis is dealing with. But, yeah, you're right with uh, with Baker Mayfield, who is viewed as undersized, with Todd Reesing, who is viewed as undersized. Uh, I don't know what it is. I mean, Hudson Card just came out of Lake Travis. He's a freshman on the Texas roster right now, the third-string QB. He's a little taller than both Baker and uh, Todd Reesing, but he's not like Garrett Gilbert or their stereotypical 6'4", 6'5", QB. So, man, that's a factory. Lake Travis and Westlake, two of the best programs in the state, two of the best programs in the country. Uh, they're uh, they're pumping out QB, uh, college QBs seemingly every single year. Ellinger went to Westlake. Uh, Nick Foles went to Westlake. Did Breezes go to Westlake too? Drew Brees went to Westlake yeah. as well. Yeah, man. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, they both have stud quarterbacks right now. Westlake, a kid named Cade Klubnick 
Uh, still got a few years of college ball to to uh, to be play or of high school ball to be played, but he's already picking up offers all over the country. He's really, really, really good. So remember that name. And then for Lake Travis, their QB this year, Nate Yarnell, uh, is committed to play at Duke. So the guy who was Hudson Card's backup last year has been committed to Duke as a backup uh, for a while. I mean, that's how good those two uh, those two teams are here in Central Texas. It's pretty ridiculous, man. Yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think there was a similar situation when Spencer Rattler was out in Phoenix where he was committed to Oklahoma and his backup was committed to Michigan. I, I don't know if he was committed to Michigan at the time he was a backup. If not, it was like the year after. So it's 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 crazy how that happens sometimes. Hell, Matt Castle out of USC never started one game, and he was a starting quarterback one year for the New England Patriots. So yeah. some places are just quarterback factories, dude. It's wild. It is yeah. wild how it works, no doubt about it. All right, what game have we uh, have we hit every game this week? Iowa State TCU, man. Okay. Uh, not in depth, and boy. This is a this is a coin flip game for me. Uh, Max Duggan is available to play, but he's not going to start the football game. So will he play? I'm sure at some point that he's going to get in there, maybe in the second half. Uh, a, a coin flip football game, and, and I guess I'll pick Iowa State just because, I don't know, man. I, I still think Brock Purdy's good. Charlie Kolar, the, maybe the best tight end in the conference, was out in their loss to Louisiana. Like, surely, 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 if we were ever right about Iowa State this year, and they're actually a pretty good team, surely they'll go down to Fort Worth and beat TCU this week. You would think so, right? I mean, with all the questions that TCU has at quarterback, and I'm looking at their depth chart right now, there's an or with the quarterback position, right? It's uh, it's Matthew Downing or Max Duggan listed as the starter for TCU. Hey, man, if he's available to play, if he's eligible to play, why would he not start? Or at least, why would he not come in early on, right? Yeah, I, I guess Gary Patterson said, what, a day ago that uh, Max Duggan's been cleared to play, but Matthew Downing's going to start. Okay, yeah. I mean, I'm uh, curious. Yeah, I'm you know, that right now. So that's yeah. weird that they would put an or in their death chart when old Gare Bear just said that Downing's going to start. It's right. Weird. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know what to expect from, uh, from Matthew Downing. You're right. He did get uh, the nod to be the starting quarterback this weekend. I'm curious what the leash, though, is for him. And Matthew Downing, the transfer from Georgia, was a pretty highly touted recruit, right, a four-star out of the state of Georgia. So there should be some sort of arm talent there. Uh, TCU's got the dynamic duo back with uh, Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie calling the shots in Fort Worth this year. That worked really, really well at the start of the decade with uh, Trayvon Boykin. Uh, in the Horn Frogs. I mean, that was one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football for a couple of years with those two dudes together. So we'll see if their relationship uh, can be rekindled and that TCU offense can take a step. But yeah, I mean, that's the big question for the Horn Frogs all year long, right? What type of quarterback play are they going to get? Even before the Max Duggan uh, injury news or the health news, I guess is probably a better way to describe it. We were curious what type of play we'd get out of him. And now we're really curious what type of play we'll get out of the quarterback position up in Fort Worth. They've got a great defense. They always do. Uh, I mean, they've got three, at least three Sunday players and three potential, you know, top two day of the NFL draft picks with uh, Garrett Wallow, Ardarius Washington, and Trayvon Morig. All those guys are absolute studs. Uh, they've got running back talent, not a lot of experience there, but, you know, Zach Evans really highly touted recruit. Some folks had him as the number one running back in the country this year. Uh, they've got good wide receivers. Don't forget about uh, J.D. Spielman, the transfer yep. coming yep. in from Nebraska. Kind of yep. went under the radar, but, man, I mean, he's he's amongst 
program leaders at Nebraska in a lot of receiving categories. I mean, he had a really, really good three-year run up in Lincoln. There's a joke there, but still, he's a good player. Yeah, no doubt about that. He's a really, really talented player. Uh, Tate Barber's there. Tavalence Hunt is there. I think uh, all Big 12 fans know about those dudes because they've uh, probably blown by their secondary at some point over their careers uh, in Fort Worth. So, And they've got some weapons on both sides of the ball. They've got some pieces. Gary Patterson, once again, really, really good coming off of disappointing seasons. Uh, just the question is, what type of quarterback play will TCU have? God, I mean, if this game was being played three weeks from now, I'd pick TCU to win it. Uh, I really would. Yeah, uh, I would too. Just the uncertainty with Max Duggan, and I, I don't know what the hell to expect from Matthew Downing. I'm going to go with the experience at quarterback. I'm going to go with uh, Brock Purdy in a close one. I think Iowa State does find a way to win uh, at Eamon G. Carter Stadium on Saturday. Let's see what the forecast for Saturday is in Fort Worth. It is going to be, ooh, no, a high of 89 degrees. We will see some sweat from Gary Patterson on the sidelines this Saturday, 89 degrees. So I don't know who his sweat towel assistant uh, is this year, but uh, get ready for a full day's work. Yikes. How much? How much would you have to be paid to do a job like that? There's, to be not, there's not like <laughs> everybody has different? their everybody has their adult video price, or so yeah. I heard. I don't have a, and maybe I have mine, but I don't have a Gary Patterson sweat rag price. I'm no, just telling I mean, you, my adult video price is like five bucks. Hell, I'll pay someone <laughs> five bucks for that. Are you kidding me? That sounds awesome, but uh, yeah, for the GP sweat rag guy, uh, it would take a lot more than that. What's the over under? We know the over-under for this game is 44-and-a-half, which is so low Yeah, the Big 12 games. I mean, that is – almost feels like each team at times, their over-under has been 44-and-a-half in this league. But uh, what about the over-under for number of shirts that we see out of Gary Patterson this weekend? Do you think he just goes with one switch at halftime, or do we think uh, we might have multiple T-shirt switches for GP? I think that we're only going to have two because it's going to be so erotic for Gary Patterson to be in a 17-14 type of football game. Like, that's his dream. That's what he fantasizes about, you know? Like, that that's his deal. So, I don't know, man. I think that he's going to love the sweat running up against his belly with a 17-14 football game and a high of 89 degrees. That's going to be his type of, his type of scene. So, I'm only going to go for two. Can we get the guy a tighter belt, please? I mean, it's 20 years now in Fort Worth for Gary Patterson. Can we get him a belt that actually works? Uh, I think he's a hell of a coach, by the way, not taking too many uh, unfair shots at Gary Patterson. But uh, that stuff is pretty funny. And, hey, maybe if TCU wins, we'll get to hear take a step back playing over the loudspeakers at, uh, at, at Carter Stadium this weekend. Come on, man. I'm down for it. TCU, by the way, has lost four out of their last five games. So they need something good to happen early mm. on in the season. If they get something good to happen on Saturday, I'm telling you, I'll start wanting to have conversations next week. Like, is TCU the third best team in this conference? Actually, maybe. Well, we could find out next weekend, right? TCU does play Texas in Austin yeah. next weekend. So, uh, you know, obviously folks in Austin will be paying close attention to what goes down in Fort Worth on Saturday. But, yeah, that's a potential really, really good game here in Austin. Next weekend, uh, a couple of good games on the slate next weekend, too, with OU at Iowa State, right? I mean, that's a game, obviously, folks in Norman will be watching as well, what goes on in Fort Worth on Saturday. At least on paper, you know, going into the year, we figured those games could be tough tests for uh, for the two two top dogs in this league. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Well, me and BK actually have a lot at stake for this TCU-Iowa uh, State game because the two TV windows the following week 
are up for grabs. Ah, either yeah. OU's playing an 11 a.m. game, either Texas is playing an 11 a.m. game, or the other one's playing a 6.30 primetime game on ABC. So I don't know if you're a 11 a.m. kickoff type of guy. I'm going to guess probably not like me. So <laughs> i got a lot at stake for this one right here. I feel like it's going to be you guys. I mean, Texas has had a share of 11 a.m. kickoffs. I think every team in this league has had a share of 11 a.m. kickoffs, but I don't think anyone has had more than Oklahoma over the years. So I almost feel like regardless of what happens in Fort Worth, and I'm sure the Big 12 is, right, they've got a plan, right? If Iowa State wins, then then their game against OU is at this time, and if TCU wins, then their game against Texas is at this time. But uh, I feel like somehow, some way, regardless of the result in Fort Worth, you guys are going to end up getting that 11 a.m. kickoff next weekend. I think you're probably right, and it sucks, to be just honest that, with you. But, that's just uh, how it goes, man. Whatever, whatever. I, I guess we'll deal with it. Hey, I know uh, we only got a few minutes left. I know we're a Big 12-centric podcast, but the SEC does get kicked off this weekend. Um, I think Florida's going to go down to Ole Piss and beat them pretty handily. Uh, I think I might like Kentucky over Auburn, though. Interesting. What, uh, why is that? I mean, uncertainty, I guess, with Auburn. They lost uncertainty with Auburn. I think Kentucky's starting to turn into a pretty good football program. I mean, I'm just looking for an upset pick this week. And I mean, you could go with Mississippi State at LSU for sure. Um, but yeah, give me Kentucky over Auburn for the upset pick this week in the SEC. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure there's a whole lot there, right? Tennessee at South Carolina, uh, Tennessee's a three and a half point favorite in that one. So I guess USC, if they're able to take care of business with Will Muschamp at home, then that would technically be an upset. I think Tennessee's going to go in and win that game though, by a, a score or two. Uh, yeah. I mean, I look, it's Auburn, man. I mean, it's, uh, it's any year that ends in a number. So Gus Malzahn is on the hot seat or whoever the hell the coach is at Auburn is on the hot seat, right? It's amazing. Every single year, whoever the coach is there uh, is is uh, on the rope seemingly. So, yeah, I mean, Bo Nix, a little bit inconsistent as a freshman last year. Auburn lost a lot, especially on their defense, right? They lost a lot of studs uh, to the NFL draft on that side of the football. You know, Kentucky, you're right. They have turned into a respectable, reputable program in that league. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't think we'll see any craziness in the SEC on Saturday. But, man, who knows? With what we saw in the Big 12 on opening Saturday, right? Uh, who knows what to expect with all of the uh, all of the off time and the craziness of this offseason. I'll get to, which, by the way, Tennessee at South Carolina. It's a shame that we never got to see Coach Boom as the head coach at Texas. Uh, boy, that would... I don't, uh, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is a shame, Tyler. I really don't. I, uh, you know... There's been some things that have not worked out here at Texas over the last decade. I think that's pretty safe to say. That's probably the understatement of the century. But uh, that might be one of the things that did work out. Will Muschamp not uh, finding his way to the head job here in Austin. All right, Spartan Barton, I'm going to get to one last comment from you. You said Central Time Zone is the best time zone in college football last episode. Do we have total national championships per time zone? Um out of respect for the Big 12 Conference, I am not going to mention national championships per time zone because I think the last team west of the Mississippi River to win a title would have been like, what, 05 Texas? Yeah? Sound right? Oh, man, I don't know my geography at all, bro. I think that's right. LSU's east of that? I don't know. Maybe. Is, what time zone is LSU in? See, I was LSU's to go there two weeks ago, so I'm supposed to know this stuff. LSU is in the central is in the central time zone. There we so, go. So there's your answer right there. I think. Oh, God. 
Why'd you pick the geography question, man? I don't know. I'm just like really second guessing. I was hoping you would know this. You know, I don't know this stuff. Oh, like uh, I think it like flows right through. Uh, yeah, whatever. We're gonna sound like idiots here. We're we're out of our element right now, to be honest yeah. with you. So we're we're Donnie and the Big Lebowski. We are out of our element. Oh man, that's a good question. I'm sure someone's done that math, right? National championships per time zone. I'm sure the East Coast, or at least in, in recently, right, the Eastern time zone uh, has a pretty big leg up over everybody else. But overall, in terms of historic numbers. Uh, I would love to see. Uh, I'd love to see some research done on that. But sorry, Spartan Barton, it's not going to be me doing that search. Well, hell, it's probably the East Time Zone because Alabama's been claiming fake national twenties, <laughs> so they they better have more than everybody else. Yeah, that's know? great. That's a great point right there. And yeah. then sometimes you have to take a look at your own self because Oklahoma State stole a national championship from Army in 1945. So you know, hey, everybody does it, I guess. They did, man. How about that new scoreboard? That new jumbotron in Stillwater. Holy moly, man. I saw that in the Tulsa game last weekend. Uh, I mean, that thing is massive. That has to be a distraction, man. That is like ridiculously big, and it's pretty low to the ground too. I was was at the Bedlam game last year in Stillwater, and it's like, I mean, you can't not look at it. It's just so bright. There's just so much going on there. It's like, wow. And it's just weird because it's hanging from – I mean, that end zone is Gallagher-Iba Arena where they play basketball. So it's just like a giant video board – hanging off a basketball arena. I'm like, is this like a drive-in movie? It's like kind of what it feels like. Yeah, it's uh, it's overwhelming, man. I mean, it makes that thing at Jerry World look kind of small. I know it's not as big as the thing at Jerry World, but it's just so imposing uh, in Stillwater. It's, it's absolutely insane. And, man, you know, the one thing I'm bummed about with Texas, Texas Tech on Saturday, I mean, we're all bummed that it's 25 or 0% capacity at these games this weekend, right? That, that absolutely sucks. But tortillas, man. One of the best traditions. I don't know where it started. I don't know why it's a thing, but uh, I'm glad it's a thing up in Lubbock, uh, especially when Texas comes to town. Sam Ellinger joked about it. There's only going to be 25% of tortillas being thrown from uh, from Jones AT&T on Saturday. A little bit bummed out that uh, we won't have that full experience up on the South Plains. Yeah, pretty interesting how some of those kids, where they sneak in those tortillas in their pants when they walk through. Also, batteries are known to be thrown at Tech as well. And I can't imagine wearing a football helmet and a flying battery hitting and the sound that goes on in a helmet when that happens. It probably sounds like a grenade's going off. In your I just head. hope I'm wearing a helmet when one of those things is thrown, uh-huh. right? I mean, the helmet will protect you there if you take one of those to the dome without uh, without a lid. Probably not very good. But come on, man. You can sneak booze into these games. You can sure as hell sure. sneak tortillas into these games. No problem. And they've done that with the booze. Oh, so yeah. Notre Dame, 2012. Last time I snuck booze in. Uh, what a night that was. Well, that's the last time? Well, I've been in the like, press box thing since then. Well, you can sneak booze in the press box. Why not, right? I've never tried that. See, that's why I don't sit in the press box, because I do want to sneak booze into the games. I, I do like to drink a little bit when, uh, when enjoying some college football, man. All right. Well, we'll talk to you on Monday, 10 a.m. Central Time. Spartan Barton, appreciate all your comments. Thanks to everybody checking us out as well live on Twitch. Monday, 10 a.m., we'll be wrapping up an entire weekend of college football in the Big 12. Until then, he's Brad Kellner. I'm Tyler McComas. This is In Defense of the Big 12.